Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we're talking about video games and everything happening in the industry. I am your host, Jared Weich. With me is Dominic Orlando. Halo 5, excellent campaign. Excellent. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, no Jordan this week. Hopefully he'll be back. We're supposed to have a guest on, but things happen. Hopefully we can get that guest on in the coming weeks as well. Um, let's hop into what we've been playing. Played a little bit of PUBG as usual, nothing to say there. Uh, was playing some more Arkham City, got a little bit of time in. Um, after... I don't know where I said... I guess I just said I started the game uh, last week or I was in the early stages. Anyways, I got to the part where you have to go to the old GCPD building to, like, confront Mr. Freeze. And I realized I was I was stuck. I don't know if you remember this or not, Dom, but to get into there, you have to use the, like, electricity battering thing that you have and hit the door and the door slightly opens and then you have to slide underneath it. I forgot that you could slide in Arkham City. Like, it's just not something I remember from Arkham You couldn't do an Arkham Asylum. So it wasn't, like, a mechanic I was used to using. And then it never, like, prompted you to be like, hey, you should slide under the door. So I was stuck there for, like, 15 minutes trying to figure out how to get in. Because I didn't know you could slide, right? And even under the controls, it didn't show, like, how to slide. So it's just, like... I just didn't know what to do, so I had a, like, wiki, and I'm like, how the hell do you get into this building? They're like, oh, you just slide under the door. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot you could slide. Because they show you it once early in the game, and then you'd never really use it until that point with Mr. Freeze. So I'm like, okay, weird. So I'm there. I'm about to confront Mr. Freeze or whatever. Um, Those games tend to to have things like that. I remember a few different situations, like, because there's so many different gadgets, sometimes, like, the mechanics and, like, how you actually works how, how they work and like even like what button to push to i don't know sometimes it's just a little unintuitive like i remember like it took me longer than it should have to figure out how to use like the little spray bomb stuff oh yeah, yeah. because i was like what do you mean like I, it was just one of those things like it just didn't click with me the directions they gave or something i don't know well, then when for, you figure it out it's like oh i guess that's obvious but i don't know it's just a little weird sometimes for this i think it's like no offense to rocksteady but i think it's like bad game design to introduce a mechanic at the beginning of the game and then not use it until like four hours in yeah because mm-hmm. like early in the game you go and save catwoman right and then you go and the clock tower gets destroyed or whatever by harley quinn and then you uh go to joker's lair right and you end up getting like captured by him during all of that, you never slide once. It's, like, never used. It's never, like, hey, this is an area where you slide. Yeah. And then you get to the Mr. Freeze thing, and it's, like, oh, you expecting me to remember the thing I learned at, in the first ten minutes of the game that I haven't used since? You know? Mm-hmm. Very weird. With no prompt either. Um, very odd. Anyways, still enjoying my time with the game. I'll get back to it. The other game I've been playing, the game I've sunk a lot of time into, Dom, is Graveyard Keeper. Um... Graveyard Keeper is a game I've actually had my eye on for a long time. It was shown off, I think, during one of the Nintendo Nindy showcases. It's essentially Stardew Valley, but instead of uh, you know managing a farm, you're managing a graveyard. And it's really cool. Um, I didn't really play Stardew Valley, but obviously I've seen a lot of gameplay of it. I'm really into like Harvest Moon and like management type games like that. And this one, I love the art style. It's a really beautiful game. And the cool thing that I didn't know about is, like, there's a lot more story here than what from what I've seen from Stardew Valley. So this game, you actually, the game starts and you're in the real world, and your character dies. And then you get sent back to, like, this weird, like, fantasy time land where you're the graveyard keeper. And the first person you meet is a skull without a body, and he kind of, like, sets up the tutorial for you. But then you come to find out, like, 
So there's your graveyard, there's a church next to it, then there's a village you can go to, and then you keep hearing about this place called the town. You come to realize, like, the town is, like, the big capital, right? Uh, you come to realize that, like, these people are kind of religious, and um, the, the cleric that runs the, the, the church in the town kind of runs the town. So you kind of start realizing, like, oh, these people are controlled by religion, right? And, like, religion rules this place. Um, you have to walk between your graveyard and you have your own house and stuff there too outside of the graveyard with tools and stuff because you're like cutting down trees and gathering resources and doing a bunch of different stuff. Um, as you walk between your place and the town, you find this little gate that leads to a place called Witch Hill. You're like, oh, that's weird. What is Witch Hill? A hill with witches? Turns out it's the place where the head cleric goes to burn witches at the stake and kill them. And he actually invites you to go watch them burn a witch, and you watch them burn a witch. And good. they have there, it coming. There's a dialogue option for you to either like get in good with him or like be like really weirded out by the situation. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here, character wise, like RP wise. I'm like, my guy doesn't know why he's here at all. He's probably just gonna be like, yeah, good job, burn those witches, you know? Yeah, don't kill me. Um, so I'm kind of like siding with him on that. So there's like a bunch of weird stuff going on with the, like the town. Um, and the village just seems like a bunch of like village folk that are just trying to help you out. Uh, you earn cash and stuff from resources. Uh, so the way you manage the graveyard is you kind of upgrade the headstones and the gates and all the stuff around it. And each grave has like a rating of like from negative to positive, right? So you're just trying to get them in like the positive and the green. Once you get it to plus five, because the graveyard starts like a negative 20. Once you get it to plus five, the church opens up at the graveyard, and that opens up a whole new section of the game where you can start researching, like, alchemy, and uh, you can even give sermons to get, like, research points, and you're using all of this stuff to, like, build up, um, like, all, all of your skill sets so you can build different things, right? You can even build armor and, like, weapons because there's monsters you can fight uh, in the forest. It's a lot deeper than I thought. Um, and there's a cool story, and I'm really enjoying my time with it. Dom, it is one of those games that I could just sink hours into and not even blink. Like, it's one of those games that, like, you have a stamina bar to do stuff, and when it runs out, you have to go to your bed and sleep. And it's one of those games, like, when you go and sleep and refill your, refill your bar, you're like, I'll just do one more day. I'll just get stuff done one more day. And then you go to sleep, and you're like, eh, I'll just do, I'll just do one more day. You know, it's just that loop because the, the gameplay loop is like really quick and really solid. I even forgot to tell you how you get the bodies for the graveyard. Like how do you, you can bury people and you're like, probably like, how does that happen? There's a do there's a talking donkey <laughs> that brings the dead bodies to you. Right? Voiced Every by Eddie Murphy, right? Yeah, unfortunately. He brings, he brings the dead bodies to you every, I think it's like every two days he brings a dead body to you and you have a morgue and you go into your morgue and you can choose... Um, what to do during an autopsy. Um, so I don't want to get too ingrained in this because uh, that can go on forever. But, like, the bodies have ratings. So when you actually uh, bury them in your graveyard, they can affect that score I was telling you about, the positive, negative, total score for your graveyard. So if a body comes in and it's plus two, but you decide to take out, like, its brain and its heart and all this stuff, you have a higher chance of making it a negative body, essentially, like, possessed or, like, unpure, Right. So you have to be kind of careful with what you decide to get out of the bodies, um, like meat to cook, which is really disgusting, or like the brain or the bones or whatever. 
and you end up upgrading stuff for the morgue too like I upgraded a shoot so like when the donkey comes by and drops off a body it just gets dropped into the morgue so I don't have to pick it up and lift it and take it down to the morgue um, like ease of use kind of things I'm at a point now in the game where the donkey is on strike and he won't bring me another body unless I get him oil for his tires and like five carrots and the funny thing is during this whole game whenever he brings a body you hear him talk about like I hate working for the man um, corporations don't like he just is going off on, on the man of like I, I'm not beloved I'm a talking donkey and nobody cares <laughs> he's just like talking mad crap the entire time um, it's really fun though like for people who like enjoy management style games it really is like ticking all those boxes mm. will I continue playing it when Spider-Man comes out probably not but like right now it's definitely one of those games that like I can hop in get a game uh, like a day done or a couple of days done and the loop is there of me like, oh, I want to upgrade that. I upgraded that, so now I can do this. I did this, and so now I can, you know what I mean? It's like the chain is there. Um, having a blast with that. I also, it's like the negative body thing. If there's a body that's like way too negative, and you're like, I don't want to bury this, and I don't really have the resources to burn it, you could just toss it in the river. Uh, just like toss it in the river, and it washes away. And when you talk to like the Grand Cleric, you realize that he's like, yeah, we have this weird problem where like these bodies are just like stacking up at one of our uh, one of our docks. It's like all these dead bodies. And you're like, oh, that's weird. I don't know what's happening there. That's crazy. So it's like really cool that like your decisions have repercussions and stuff. Um, I'm having a blast with it, though. It's, it's so bizarre, man. It's yeah, that's what I love about it, though, right? Is that yeah. it's... You know, Stardew Valley, cool, people fell in love with it. It's your typical harvest moon. You have a farm, you just grow plants, grow crops, sell them, yada, yada, yada. When I heard this, it was like, Stardew Valley, but, like, you run a graveyard? I was like, that sounds just, like, weird and cool. And it is, and it it pokes fun at itself. Like, it knows it's, like, this weird, bizarre game. Like I said, there's, like, a talking donkey that, like, kind of talks about the hell. No one else cares that he's a talking donkey. Um, your, like, best friend on the on the the in the graveyard is, like, a, a skull that talks um it's just it's really cool uh there's like a lot of systems in it that's one thing i love with like those management type games of like i can decide to earn money however i want right so i could go and like cut down trees and like get all this lumber and sell it that way and earn revenue to buy supplies and stuff or i can like mine stones or i can uh plant and harvest crops or i can just focus on like the graveyard itself or like i can just become like a priest that delivers sermons um, there's all these like different interesting systems in it and it also keeps track of all the NPCs you meet and if they're like kind of like a side questy thing of them like hey if you bring me this I'll give you this you know there's a whole cooking system in the game where you can cook food and you learn recipes it's really cool um, I don't know how much it is retail uh, I was lucky enough to get a, a review code for it I'm it's probably like 15 20 bucks um, it's on all the major systems I don't know if it's out on switch but this would probably be a really good Switch game. The code we got is for Xbox, so I'm playing it on there, but this would be a great game to just pick up and same thing with Stardew, that blew up on Switch. So having a blast with it. I don't know, are you into like these type of like management type games? Not really. I mean I guess I've never I've never played anything like that, so I don't even know yeah. if I do or don't like that, you know? Just never tried. Yeah. It's it's fun. I like that it also has combat in it, um, because that's another thing of like Doing all these activities like building and all this stuff and management is cool, but sometimes in a game like that you just want to go out and like kill stuff. And so far I've seen like some slime type enemies and some bats, and obviously the bats are a little bit quicker. And you have a health bar and you have a stamina bar. 
and uh, you build your own armor, and you can, obviously there's different types of armor. I just like that there's so much variation in the gameplay. Like, if it was just, like, a, a management game, like, harvesting crops, I don't know if I'd be into it. If it was just, like, you managing the graveyard, I don't know if I'd be into it. But the fact that, like, there's all these, like, RPG mechanics in it and all these different paths and all these different activities, I like that there's so much variation there. That's why I really, I'm really digging it. It's really cool. The, one of the pieces of art for the game shows your character riding the donkey. So I don't know if that's going to be the way to, like, travel faster in the game. Um, because that's one complaint I'll have. And I'm early in the game, so it's probably just something you upgrade, like, either, like, running shoes or, like, the donkey is it takes a while to get from, like, your graveyard all the way to, like, the, the village. There's, like, other areas you can explore with caves and stuff, and it just seems like I don't walk that fast. So I'm probably, I just haven't, you know, upgraded whatever that takes because it seems like they've thought about all that stuff, so I'm probably just missing something or I haven't gotten to that part yet. Because, um, you know, it's, like, early in the game, they don't want you to be able to run everywhere because they kind of want to extend that gameplay time, right? Of you, like, going around and exploring and figuring things out. And you get to a point where you usually unlock the faster mobility in a game. So, I don't know. Really enjoying it. I'm going to continue playing it. Uh, I don't think I watched anything or read anything of note. I'm waiting for the prequel. Uh, I don't know if you saw, Dom. They released a prequel book for the Spider-Man game. Oh, no, I did not. Yeah, they. It, I think it's, it's a pretty short book, I think. It's only like 200 pages. Uh, maybe 250. Uh, it's a prequel book. It's like seven bucks at Walmart or something crazy. It's really cheap, um, but I'm like so excited for that game that I just want to check it out and read it because it'll give like some backstory. Because the Spider-Man in the Spider-Man game isn't like young Peter Parker. I think he's been Spider-Man right, for like right. seven years. I think in the game, so it kind of gives backstory to it. It's definitely not necessary, but for somebody like me who's like so excited and really loves Spider-Man, I'm all for it. I'm just waiting for that book to come in so I can devour it. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, one thing I want to talk to you real quick, Dom, before you talk about what you've been playing is, obviously you're a huge Batman fan, and I don't, I know you don't keep current with the comics, but the current arc in the Batman comic is Bruce Wayne is on jury duty for a case involving Mr. Freeze. So wow. it's like, it's this weird dichotomy of him going back and forth of like being on jury duty for this case involving Mr. Freeze, but then also as Batman trying to figure out what exactly happened because Mr. Freeze isn't necessarily guilty. You know what I mean? And obviously, like, some of the coolest parts of Batman is being a detective. Um, so it's really cool to see him, like, go back and forth between, like, being at the jury and, like, trying to be a norm act like a normal person, act like he doesn't know more than what they've told him, right? But then also, like, being Batman and trying to figure out what exactly happened. Seems really cool. Um, that is that sounds extremely cool. Yeah, uh, like there's a lot of dynamics at play there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, I figured you'd like that. Anyways, go ahead. What have you been playing? Uh, so as I alluded earlier, I finished Halo Five the campaign. Was I'd say great. You know, short of excellent, or, yeah, if we're talking in those terms. But ah, oh, it was really good. It was only missing one crucial element in a Halo game. The Flood, of course. The best, the, I don't know. I, that's the coolest enemy in the whole game, I think. Um, the story, I mean, doesn't necessarily even kind of have anything to do with them. Um, somehow they're absent in this in this narrative that goes on. But nonetheless, I wish that, I wish the Flood was in that game because uh, everything else about the game was great. But yeah, I talked about it a lot last week, so I won't I won't linger too much on, on Halo. But I also finally got, 
I finally like got truly into Dark Souls Remastered, which I had picked up a while ago when it came out. But I need to get back to that. God, I completely <laughs> forgot. <laughs> yeah, I had originally when it came out like booted it up and like went through the Undead Burger or whatever, and then I forgot. I kind of just got sidetracked with other things for a while. Um, yeah, I finally got back into it, and like I got back into it like hard. The last two nights I played a ton. Yeah. Um, I'm all the way up through like Anne Orlando now. Which oh dang! Looks, yeah, you're really far. Dang. <laughs> yeah, it looks absolutely ridiculous in the remastered version. Um, you know, in the on PS4 Pro or whatever, looks even better than I remember it. Which is like, oh, okay. The it, it's one of those moments where like, okay, the console here was was worth it, right? Um, not to take jabs. Not to take jabs, but I could just imagine how crazy. If you're saying it looks crazy on the Pro, I could just imagine how crazy it looks on the X. Like, obviously, I'm not trying to like throw shots or anything, but. If you're that impressed with that, I'd be. I I kind of want to see that video, seeing how both of them look. Yeah, I'm playing it on like a normal Xbox, and I think it still looks incredible. So I could just imagine what you're seeing. Apparently, this is one that people kind of got upset about. Like people kind of claim, like, and rightfully so. Like, well, the Pro is holding back the X because apparently it's the same on the X and the Pro. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it it could be better. Uh, you know. On yeah, the X, but, but just want to breach the baseline. And they're just like, let's do that. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, I mean, fact check me on that, but I'm pretty confident I remember reading that. And like, because a lot of people are upset, like who have X's, like, well, this is stupid. Why did I buy the better console if I'm not even gonna, if you know, the devs aren't gonna max it out to, like, you know what I mean? But, yeah. And rightfully so. I'd be kind of pissed too. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, but yeah, it looks it looks stupid good, um, and it's it runs so much smoother too. I went through Blight Town. I was like, oh, <laughs> infamous Blight Town, sixty frames per second, like all the way through. I'm like what? What? what is this place you know what's going on here um but yeah i'm still, I, I got deep into it so last night i just played it a ton and made most of that progress i went through normally i go through with like a, a you know a, start out with like a, a strength build type of thing and i end up with like a great sword um or like a black knight halberd or whatever at the end that's that's always been my go-to um because the damage output is ridiculous with those this time i want to change it up um i'm going for like a dexterity type of thing so Ooh, cool yeah, early on you can get uh, the Uchi Katana. Which I is love like, the Uchi Katana. Yeah, yeah, it's known to be one of the better weapons in the game. But the bleeding damage—I didn't even realize. I had never messed around with too much dexterity stuff. Um, but the, the bleeding damage on this thing is just absurd. It's it's really—it's a lot more fun to get a couple quick hits in and then just like watch, especially on bosses where they just like bleed out and like it, I don't know—it's super satisfying. So I'm liking going back through with a different build. So that's. Definitely, it's kind of like Mass Effect in that way, where you can kind of go back and play the game very differently. Um, in my case, it's actually not that different. I'm still using swords, <laughs> just smaller ones. But, yeah, so it's really cool to go back in from uh, from that perspective. But And always, maybe maybe I'll pick it pick it up on Switch again later. I'm just, yeah, I'm a sucker for this, this game, apparently. Um, but maybe the one thing I've never messed around with is Pyromancy. So I may end up trying to work that in. Uh, on another playthrough later on but we'll see so but yeah it's as good as ever i mean actually it's better than ever so i'm loving it i, I wish i would have tried something new i started up went through i th- i think i'm currently on uh the witch of isolith or whatever in uh the bottom of blight town okay. i always forget her name um oh quaylog yeah but at the beginning at the beginning of the game i went and i sat there with my bow and just grinded out the the sword off the dragon tail I was just like, yeah, oh, just familiar. Yep. I, I think I want to play through. I, I've never done pyromancy either, so that may be something I want yeah. to try out as well. 
No, usually I go for that sword from that dragon too because it's such an early... It's a nice little secret that early on makes the game a lot easier. And that's when the game is toughest, right? Early on. Um, yeah. When you're weak, you have very little weapons, you can't upgrade too much. So yeah, that sword makes it a lot easier. Uh, but I intentionally skipped it this time. Um, just because I wanted to try some different stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, what else was I going to say about Dark Souls? Ugh. I don't know. It's a great game. I love it. I would say... What, what, what do you think is the hardest early game boss? I would say... Um... I forget its name, but the like open mouth chest dragon. What is his name? The gaping dragon. He's yeah, not would, that tough actually. I would say he's the toughest early. Who would you say is tougher than him early game, in your opinion? Early, so like prior to like Sense Fortress and earlier, I guess would be like the first half. Um, yeah. I don't know. Um, t- t- I'm so skewed because they're they're all kind of easy to me <laughs> at this point because I've played it so much, especially the early game. I say the the hardest one for new players I think would be uh, the, the Tauros not the Tauros demon the one in the hallway is that the Tauros demon with the dogs. That's the Capra demon. Capra He's also demon. really easy, man. No, know. I'm saying for new players. I think new players find him the most difficult because it's about managing like multiple enemies at once. Um, mm-hmm. The first boss is super easy, the Tauros demon or whatever, because you just get like the uh, the just drop down on him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, plus the the resin, the electricity resin. It makes him like a two oh. shot. Shoot, I didn't even know that. Yeah, if you have the master key and you go into that one like little shed in Blight Town, you get the resin, the gold pine mm-hmm. resin, and then he's like a two shot when you drop down on him. It's like ridiculously easy. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how many things there are like that where they don't tell you things, but like you pick up an item, you know, if you are being thorough enough while you're exploring, and then it ends up being extremely effective against a boss, you know, not soon after it's something like that. There's lots of things like that, that it kind of, it sometimes pushes you in a direction, but it doesn't outright tell you, um, you know, kind of depending on the direction you, you know, the order you play through the game. And if you end up going to blight town before you should, then you're going to be miserable and get poison and you're going to get stuck down there. Right. And you're not gonna be able to leave cause you keep dying and shit. Yeah. But if you went through like the, the grassy area, like the dark root garden or whatever, then you unknowingly just got a bunch of the purple moss from all those uh, tree enemies, and then you're fine down in Blighttown with that stuff. So. But, but the weird, the weird yeah. thing with like, uh, like difficulty and stuff is people always said like the moonlight butterfly or whatever was tough, and I'm like, I don't understand what's so tough about it. You just like stand on the bridge and hit it. Like I don't, there's like <laughs> nothing to it. But I guess some people get the thing where like RNG where it just like spams like distance. You know what I mean? Spams ranged. Like I guess they have trouble with that. I don't know. I've always been confused by that. People saying that, that one's like butterflies. Really, it's like it's like a very easy like gimme. I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, I think gargoyles sometimes, depending on RNG, can be a little like irritating. I wouldn't say they're difficult. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, you can. Uh, that's the other thing. Depending on how you play, like I've played through the game solo, you know, without even summoning. Like, Same. Yeah. NPCs even. Um, but when you start summoning NPCs, like. Had I known that the first time I played through the game, like I didn't, I remember figuring out like towards the end, like holy crap, you can summon people to help you with bosses. What, the, like, <laughs> it changes bosses entirely. It makes a lot of them too easy, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but if you figure that, even as a new player, if you figure that out early, then what bosses like the gargoyles become much easier, especially because the thing you know it's tough about them is if you don't kill that first one at a time, then you have to fight two at a time, things like that. Um, but with another person. You know, splitting up the aggro. Dude, I could talk about Dark Souls all goddamn day. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, before we go, do you... I love Ornstein and Smell. 
and mm-hmm. I always consider them like one of the like more difficult bosses. Yeah, like definitely. Gwyn's pretty hard too. I think. Like the final one. Yeah, is not, it Gwyn? not Gwyndolin or whatever? But yeah, Gwyn, Lord of Cinder. Yeah, yeah. He was tough. Yeah. Yeah, I'm um, just trying to think of like all the bosses and who was like really difficult. That's another one that's interesting because you can play the whole game and never parry anybody. Yeah. Um, and then when you get to Gwyn, it's like, holy crap, this guy is ridiculous. But if you parry him, you can kill him in like three or four hits or whatever. Yeah. Because he's easier to parry. Um, but if you you know if you haven't been using that mechanic, then you're kind of ill-equipped. I remember learning it, my first playthrough, learning how to parry like just at the very end of the game. It's like, holy crap, I didn't even know this was a thing. Oh. Yeah. It's, I don't remember the Nito fight either, Gravelord Nito. For some reason, that, that fight... I don't think it's hard, right? Isn't he like a big lumbering mass? No, that's that's one from Dark Souls 2, like the rotten. Um, okay. Nito, Nito is kind of a mass also, but he's more of a ball of like skeletons. Oh, gotcha. I remember now. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's not too bad. I think there's one in like New Londo, the ghost guy, the Four Kings. It's oh, really tough. Yeah, he, that's like sucks the, your stamina away from you or whatever. The one in the pit or whatever, right? Like when it's yeah. all black, yeah, that fight's yep. pretty awful that too. One's, that one's very difficult. You <laughs> have to have like a very specific build uh prepared to stand a chance. Yeah. I never did the I never did the DLC either for it, so uh oh, I'm man. super excited. Oh, it's really good. Yeah. Cuz there, there's only done two, it once, right? So I'm excited. There's the one where you fight uh uh uh, help me Artorius. out here. Artorius, there you go, yeah. And then there's the other one, right? As far as I know, it's just the one. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of something yeah. else. Maybe I'm thinking of Demon Souls. Yeah. Anyway, so we can talk about Dark Souls all day. Let's get into the new game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love that game so goddamn much. Um, weird that I remember a Dark Souls 2 boss, because I'm not a fan of Dark Souls 2. Um, it's the weaker entry in the series, for sure. Oh, yeah. It's crazy because, like, comparatively, you wonder why it's not as great. And no offense to the director of that game, but it's not uh, Miyazaki, and you can kind of tell, you know. Yeah, he he understands a Dark Souls game, but not to the level that Miyazaki does. Anyways, speaking of game directors, our first bit of news here comes by way of Twitter. Uh, Jeff Alanor, who is actually the game director for WB Montreal, uh, has alluded to the absence of WB Montreal's game. People have been wondering where their game is. People have been wondering where Rock City's game is. It's weird in like this era now where Marvel's starting to we're getting all this news about the Marvel games. WB's kind of disappeared when we were so used to like all the Batman games, right? Um, but on Twitter, Jeff Eleanor stated, "Game dev is a creative process in which your first, second, and third ideas are usually wrong, and you have to be good with that and iterate with a fun attitude." Teams need confidence. Um, so in this quote, many people believe that he's alluding to the Suicide Squad and Damian Wayne games that were. Both rumored to be in development and then canceled. So, you know, he alludes to first, second, and third idea is usually wrong. Um, he also went on to say after this, my team has come so far in the last few months, I'm uncharacteristically cocky about the future. It's so freaking good to see pieces come together. Um, just a quick anecdote here. WB Games Montreal was founded in 2010. Its only game that it released was in 2013. It was Batman Arkham Origins. And their last content release, the last thing they worked on and released to the public, was the Batgirl story add-on for Arkham Knight, which came out in 2015. Uh, the game as well as their add-on. Um, so what do you think here, Dom? For me, I think it's just him. Because I'm pretty sure they get questions all the time, right? Of like, you guys have been like quiet for like five years. What are you guys doing? And I think he can't come out and say, 
two games, like games we were working on got canceled. Him saying, you know, our creative process, your first, second, and third ideas are usually wrong, I think is a clever way to say, like, we've gone through, like, three games all that got kind of canceled or pushed to the side. Um, do you think it's that? you think he's kind of just, like, saying it without saying it to let people know exactly what's happening? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way of, uh, you know, explaining what otherwise, you know, we'd probably perceive as, like, development hell, right? Yeah. Um, if we heard some, like, rumors offhand or whatever but hearing it the way he describes it well and then of course like <laughs> how he, how the the state of the game is now according to him that's you know that's obviously encouraging and it kind of puts you know puts a lot of people at ease i think it, 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 including myself I, I forgot all about them to be totally honest <laughs> yeah. you brought it up like oh crap yeah those guys made that game you know arkham origins which is i haven't actually played but here it's kind of like undeservedly um kind of hate it actually i'd put it similar to dark souls 2 where it's uh, again not played it but maybe it doesn't get quite the credit it deserves just because of it's going to be compared to what's around it in that case yeah. and it's not a rock study game yeah right different studio and dark souls 2 is you know different director at least i'd say that's actually so there's some similarities between the two scenarios but anyway uh yeah I'm, this is interesting because i would hope that you know we hear something about what this is hopefully this year i don't know um, soon, I I would hope something. I assume it's a superhero kind of thing, probably in the DC world, right? Yeah. Know. Well, I mean, WB also owns like the Ninja Turtles, and there hasn't really been a good Ninja oh. Turtles game in a while, so that would be pretty dope. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's I I'm glad that he came out and said something without really saying much. That whole thing is difficult because obviously they're under NDAs and stuff, and I think. Sure. I think the reason he came out and said I'm uncharacteristically cocky about the future, I think as a game director, you're kind of in charge of morale for your team as well. And working on a team where three of your projects have been sidelined, that's tough, man. Like, going through pre-pro, no matter how far they went through, on, like, three different projects and having all of them maybe turn down or not work out how you expected, or maybe they, you know, WB comes down and says, we want you guys to do something else that's going to be more profitable towards what we're doing. That's tough, man, to, like, start... This is their fourth thing that they're doing. I would hope they're confident in what they're doing now, but um, mm. I'm glad that whoever it is, if it's WB Montreal or if it's WB their overhead or whoever it is, I'm glad that they're not just trying to, like, push out games to just push out games. Um, I, I'm glad that there's some level of quality control, we assume. Maybe it's just, like, some things fell through, but maybe it's quality control of them being like, no, this game isn't really gonna work out so i don't know we'll see that was an interesting story we haven't heard from them we haven't really heard from rocksteady either people are wondering what the hell is up with them the other thing that i forgot to mention in this do you know how many employees wb montreal has 117 no you're gonna the fact that they haven't released a game in five years they have 500 employees dom oh w montreal has 500 employees man which puts this into perspective, the fact that they have had three games and they've been cancelled, depending on when all of those were cancelled, it still means that like their game could be relatively close with five hundred people working on it, you know what I mean? Um I mean, dude <laughs> it better be. Otherwise, you know, the shoe is gonna drop or is that the phrase? Whatever. That's a long time and Arkham Origins isn't exactly still flying off the shelves at full price. So like that's a long time of not bringing in revenue. Um and yeah. these other things, you know, residuals or something I don't know, but like, oh, you know, put some product out there. <laughs> WB, imagine the pressure. WB's in a really weird state because so Rocksteady, we don't know what they're doing right. We haven't, we they haven't released a game in three years. WB Montreal, they haven't released a game in five years. 
the one that people forget about, NetherRealm. Obviously, last year, NetherRealm released Injustice 2. They've released a new oh. game every every two years, and the year yeah. before, they announced that game. So, like, the way it goes is, like, twenty seven or 2016, they announced Injustice 2. It came out 2017, right? Before okay. that, 2014, yeah, 2014, they announced Mortal Kombat uh, X, and then 2016, it came out. People were expecting to see NetherRealm announce whatever the next Mortal Kombat is this year. They didn't do it at E3. They didn't do it at Evo. So people are wondering what's up with NetherRealm. This is the first time they haven't done it in 12 years. Okay. I didn't realize. I was a bit ignorant there, I'll admit. I didn't realize, yeah, that they were also a part of that. Uh, yeah, NetherRealm was owned by WB. That's why they okay. are able to do Injustice because it's DC characters. And they're able to put in, like, they're, they're... Ninja Turtles and, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is making more sense then. Because people okay. were, were like, oh, how come Marvel just doesn't team up with NetherRealm to make a Marvel fighting game? I'm like, as much as I'd love that, it's literally impossible because they're owned by Warner Brothers. Um, okay. So people are worried. I guess not worried. Maybe worried. But like, so we don't know what WB, Mon- WB Montreal is doing. We don't know what Rocksteady is doing. And NetherRealm has not done something that they've done the past 12 years. So it's like, what's going on? It's very weird, right? People are like really worried. Um my my thing with NetherRealm is I think maybe they're taking the next leap in their game because NetherRealm has been the person to push stories in fighting games farther than any other developer has for fighting games, right? Like, Injustice 2 has a fantastic story mode that blends the fighting genre with, like, an actually interesting story. Um, and I wonder if this next game for Mortal Kombat is just bigger and more ambitious than what they've done in the past and maybe instead of a two-year dev cycle it's a three-year dev cycle you know and maybe this is the year where like we're getting away from the two-year thing because it's crazy to move away from something you've done for 12 years you know what i mean and we've talked about you said well it can't be different until you actually make it different like you don't know something's going to change until it changes that's just how it is so my assumption is that this game is a lot more ambitious and therefore instead of doing the announce this year it comes out next year maybe it's not coming out next year you know what I mean? Maybe it's a three-year dev cycle instead. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, that could be too. I don't. I'm just. I for, I'm glad we brought this up just at all. Cause now I'm <laughs> really excited for whatever this is. Um, and like I said, hopefully we we find out more soon. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty pumped because where's our Batman at, man? Like where's our Batman game? Someone I, needs to make it. I, I don't think Rocksteady's next game is going to be a Batman game. I'm not sold that it's necessarily a Superman game, but I don't think it's going to be mm-hmm. Batman. I could totally see WB's game being a Batman game. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Who knows? Let's get into some quickie news here. A uh, bunch of news stories that we can touch on a little bit. We don't need to go in depth, but if you want to, we can talk about it a little bit. Uh, first one, Madden has surpassed 130 million copies sold lifetime with the release of Madden 19. So the franchise as a whole has hit 130 million copies, which is awesome. Um, I think right now it currently sits with like probably gta 5 or something i don't know <laughs> but it's funny to put that in perspective of like gta 5 has sold over 100 million copies it's and one Ma- game <laughs> yeah and madden is like one of the most profitable and best-selling games every year and it just hit 130 million lifetime that's crazy then again it's like madden is only really popular in america obviously other countries buy it but like the wholesale sure. uh is in the united states so it's still cool though 130 million a lot of copies of a Definitely. game uh second new story you said you had missed this. Uh, Crystal Dynamics opened up Crystal Northwest, which is a satellite studio located in Bellevue, Washington. My assumption, they're just getting more manpower for the Avengers game. Uh, as we've talked about many times before, Crystal is working on the uh, Avengers project. 
um, help me out here, uh, Eidos Montreal is the one who's handling Shadow of the Tomb Raider, and they've also actually been helping with the Avengers project, and we also know that Eidos Montreal has Guardians of the Galaxy uh, in pre-production, so uh, this, uh, this satellite studio I think is going to be the one that kind of helps both of those teams. Um, because for Square Enix, if you have that Marvel contract, it's a very profitable contract. Uh, so you kind of want to get those games rolling out, which is interesting because in this whole situation, we might see a Japanese publisher handle a Western license better than a Western publisher handle a Western license. Who It seems like Square Enix might handle a, uh, Marvel better than uh, EA's handling Star Wars. That's going to be crazy. Yeah, all signs are pointing to that. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But I'm saying it looks like possibly that might be the right. case, which is really weird. Um, Bellevue, Washington, from what I've seen, is beautiful. Um, the Pacific Northwest is somewhere I definitely want to, like, vacation. It's actually somewhere I've considered wanting to live. I just like the feel of the area of the United States. It's very beautiful to me. Um, I just like the mix of weather and stuff, too. Um, so that's I cool. i got to get up there. Never been. Yeah, man, like, if you see a shots of, like, Oregon and, oh, like, that whole Pacific Northwest area is, like, beautiful. The giant, like, redwoods. Like, seeing a tree that you could drive a car through in person is, like, awesome. Man, yeah, I've been to, like, Texas a bunch, Arizona a bunch, and Los Angeles a bunch, but I never made it up. Yeah. There. I really need to. <laughs> it's it's really interesting because, like, a lot of the Pacific Northwest, you see, like, a lot of woodsy, like, cabiny areas but then there's also like the metropolitan areas that are very like hipstery weird which i'm still cool with i'm fine with but it's like that cool sure. dichotomy there um next up this one's kind of relevant considering you recently talked about your experiences with everyone's gone to the rapture uh the chinese room the developer of that game as well as uh uh dear esther and amnesia who had some recent layoffs uh last year was purchased by sumo digital um, Sumo Digital is a developer who's worked on the Forza games. They did a bunch of different stuff. They're also like a publisher. They did, um, do you remember Snake Pass? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Switch game, they right? did that, yep. Um, they bought Chinese Room for $2.2 million. Uh, this is their fifth studio. Uh, I'm happy about this because the Chinese Room had those layoffs last year, and this is a little bit more, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Dom? I'm having a brain fart. Uh, not leverage. Help me out here. When uh, like you secure security, there you go. Completely brain right. farting. Apologies. Uh, yeah, like a lot more security there. Um, the fact that they bought them for two point two million shows that people still believe the Chinese room has value. You know, um, I think that's a good buy. Like that's a value buy yeah. right there to me. I mean, I think everybody's gone to the rapture. Didn't light the world on fire, but I can imagine it made you know at least like five million. I don't know. Maybe I don't actually. That might be pushing it. Never mind. Well, know. think about so Amnesia was actually hit on PC that people don't talk about. Like it came to PlayStation later, but Amnesia through like YouTubers and stuff blew up. Um, Dear Esther mm -hmm. was a critical darling. It was kind of like the the crux of the uh, walking sim before we got the Gone Homes and Journey to some extent okay. is a walking sim kind of. Uh, and then obviously everyone's gone to the Rapture. And whether or not you like that game or not. Through, like, press events and PAXs and E3s, people were intrigued by that game. Like, mm -hmm. they're good at making an intriguing game, whether or not it's good or not in the end. So, I think it's cool. I think it's, a, like you said, a good purchase. Speaking of good purchases, wink, I don't know, maybe. Uh, THQ Nordic, uh, their subsidiary, uh, Coach Media or Cook Media, everyone who has that name says it differently. 
there's like the punter Koch. for the Ravens. Oh, he says it's it the same. Co- if it's like one of the Koch brothers, then it's Koch, right? Well, the Coach, the, the punter know. for the Ravens who has that last name says it's Cook. Well, yeah, everyone has their own. That's why I said if this is like the same people yeah. that own like half the world or whatever, then it's Coach. If uh, they're owned Coach, by I THQ Nordic, I don't know if they're the same people. <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't know. If I don't know, man. Those guys, like, I don't know. How, they own a lot of shit. Like, True. random. Like, yeah, little, little I would, companies here and there, too. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. It was like when we found out, like, the owner of the Patriots bought, like, a Overwatch team. Or what the fuck was it? Yeah, Something yeah he weird. bought an Overwatch team. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Uh, I don't know. The Boston Uprising, I think, is what they're called. Something like that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, Koch Media bought Time Splitters. Now, Time Splitters is, like, a very beloved nostalgia franchise. Um,. I really have no touch to it. Like, it's not really something that gets me, me going. Uh, I wouldn't say it's not regular popular by any means, but I do think it's not super niche. Like, I do think that if you like, you make a budget, solid seven time splitters game, I think you can turn profit on it. Um, and people are complaining, like, what is THQ Nordic doing? They're buying all of these property properties that aren't going to make them money, like Darksiders. I think. I think instead of taking the AAA blockbuster approach i think what they're doing is they're getting all these properties that have a like a really strong audience they may not be huge but really strong and making these games at a budget which satisfies the players but also doesn't like bankrupt them and just turn profit on those you know thq nordic is an ea they're not trying to make billions of dollars i think thq nordic is actually funded mostly by like an eccentric billionaire dude that just wants to like get invested in video games I don't know if you've read up on THQ Nordic. Like, it was this guy who was, like, a former game dev or something, producer, publisher, I don't know. And he, like, it was, uh, he ended up buying the THQ, all the THQ licenses, changed the name to uh, THQ Nordic, and has just been buying up all these, like, beloved uh, properties to, like, make games with them. It's a very interesting story. Um, But, yeah, people who are complaining that they don't know what they're doing, I don't think they're playing big money ball. I think they're trying to do the... The, the mid-tier kind of approach to it, and we'll see what happens. It didn't really work out for THQ the first time around, but who knows. Um, the next one I know is going to be kind of heartbreaking to you, Dom. Uh, Arcane Studios has announced that Dishonored is taking a break. Um, not heartbreaking, I don't think, because we didn't see this coming, but just that it's, like, actually fact now. <laughs> you know, somebody has, like, said it is, like, yeah, you're not going to see Dishonored for a while. Um do you think, obviously this is partially due to the fact that like Dishonored doesn't sell very well, but I don't think Bethesda is the type of company that would wholly eliminate, I think it's been profitable, I don't think it's like made obviously like Skyrim money, um, but you do, just, do you think it's maybe like Arcane wanting to maybe just work on Prey or something else? Because they've worked on Dishonored for a long time. Yeah, I'm going to say it, and it's no one in their right mind would probably agree, but I think this is like at least, I think this is probably mostly due to, to kind of what you're saying like this the studio wants to do something a little different the yeah. dishonored story was done it was wrapped up entirely with death of the outsider like that was a cap right yeah of course it was like an uncharted 4 right well you, you could do more stuff there of course in that world but like that story and kind of like with the powers and everything that was going on like they closed the book on that story-wise so like to me i, I hate to see this validate that long-standing belief that like oh dishonored and prey like those games don't sell at all like, we don't really know that. Like you're saying, I, I bet they have turn a profit. They're not blowing lighting the world on fire. Yeah. I've said that like three times, that <laughs> analogy. Um, <laughs> but I hate to th- I hate to see people, like so many people just kind of like 
go along with that like accepted belief without really it's just something everyone just kind of agrees with without any real proof right um, yeah this is some slight proof unfortunately so like that's validation there but i think there's also more to it uh like you mentioned and like i also mentioned like that story was done they want to do something different <sighs> well, we'll see if it turns out they're making another phone game or something then i'll just you know i'll get smack well, my head against the wall <laughs> my argument hit not being a sales thing is that like Brink is the only game that Bethesda's kind of, like, shut off from ever being a thing again, because that was kind of, like, bleeding money. I don't know if you remember. It was like, there, if, it was like Huh? And they even just brought back Rage. When... Yeah, and the yeah. reason that game kind of got put on shelves is because it started working on Doom, and, uh... Man, I'm having such a brain fart today. The guy from id that left to work on Oculus, uh, John Carmack... He, like, left id right after Rage was finished, and that was, like, his baby. So, like, I don't think that was due to, like, Rage not selling well either. I think I think the Dishonored thing is more that team has been working on Dishonored for so long. Even with Prey. Yeah. If Prey didn't make money, why would they? Why would Bethesda have them spend so many resources on all the announcements they had at E3 this year? With, like, the new DLC and the new game mode and all that stuff, like... I really think that Bethesda, for those games, are okay with turning profit... And they know that the fallouts and the Skyrims of the world are their money makers. You know what I mean? Um, right. I think this is more a studio being okay with moving forward and working on something else. You also have to remember the game director for all of the Dishonored games. I forgot his name. He has a very Italian name. He left last year. Um, and that was kind there of like... Dishonored was kind of like his baby too. So maybe with the new game director there with Prey and stuff, they're just like, let's take a break from Dishonored and let's like just maybe focus on Prey or something else, you know? I, I just don't think it's a sales thing. And maybe it could be partially, but I don't think it's like no more Dishonored because it doesn't sell. They wouldn't have made like Death of the Outsider if they didn't think it would turn a profit. Like from a business standpoint, right. that doesn't make sense, you know? So. And then the next, the next jump is like, oh, well, they're going to do something multiplayer next because, you know, they're being hypocritical because they were supposed to say single player gaming. So now, you know, well, like, okay, let's just hang tight. <laughs> we yeah. don't know that their next game is going to be multiplayer or not. So like, that's a big leap in logic without any proof to me. So, One second. We uh, also know Starfield and Elder Scrolls six are in development. And those are going to be like, obviously critical wise. We don't know, but in terms of like size, those are probably going to be two of the biggest single player games we'll see in a long yeah. time. So it's like, Calm down. And people like Man, get Starfield. Starfield has a chance. To, like I think that's going to be a big deal. I mean, we'll see if it's. We're, we're going to assume it's going to be good, but with how Andromeda performed, I think there's kind of a space there for a giant, you know, sci-fi single-player <laughs> game to kind of. You used the word space. Not, I liked it. <laughs> You're like there's a space there. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, had Andromeda been a huge thing, like Mass Effect used to be a big deal, that they kind of owned that sci-fi space as far as Western RPGs. Um, I don't know. I think there's a space there. I think Starfield, I don't know how we ended up on this topic, but yeah. I think Starfield could, could be huge. Um, and then obviously Elder Scrolls 6. Yeah. It's going to be Elder Scrolls 6. So. Yeah. I just love Todd Howard's thing, too. He's like, you guys keep making jokes about Skyrim. We'll stop porting it when you guys stop buying it. I think that's just a, such right. a boss quote. It's like, right. we port it because you guys keep buying it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So. And they can – I don't know who did all their ports for them, but or maybe they did it internally depending on the one, but that's something easy. Like – not easy, but they could contract that out or whatever and get a port made. Yeah. And yeah, if it's going to make money, why would they not? I guess, yeah. I also think I, I people, like that are, quote too. people are underestimating how much money Blades is going to bring in too. 
I think Blades could bring oh, yeah. in a ton of money on mobile for them. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the next story, speaking of a ton of money, uh, Patrick Sutherland, who is the creative de- creative design officer or chief design officer, I think. He had a very weird title. Uh, leaves EA despite $20 million bonus from EA. So apparently the story goes is that Patrick Sutherland had informed EA. He also worked with DICE. He worked out of the DICE offices in uh, Sweden. Is it Sweden or is it Switzerland? It's Sweden, I think. Um, he had informed EA that he was leaving, and EA was basically like, hey, we want you to stay. Here's a $20 million bonus. And then he ended up leaving anyways. Obviously, he's not going to keep the money. <laughs> That's not how that works. But, yeah, he turned down a $20 oh. million, a $20 million okay. bonus. And, uh, yeah, apparently, according to all the reports, is he just wants to move on to something else. He's been at uh, EA for more than 15 years. My thing I'm more interested in is, like, people were trying getting hung up on the fact that he made $48 million last year. It's like, oh, a, a, a leading person at a – a company that makes billions of dollars made that much money that really didn't intrigue me that much the fact that he turned down 20 mil which is 33% or 50% of his current uh, salary to leave I wonder where he's going that's what's more intriguing to me like I wonder where he ends up because he said he's still gonna he still has another project he's not like just leaving the gaming industry I wonder where he's gonna get hired you know what I mean it's very interesting um, I mean he doesn't exactly drive a, a bargain in salary, so... <laughs> yeah, and uh, for me personally, people are kind of, like, happy that he left. He's not the problem with EA for me. I think it's Andrew Wilson. Uh, he is the one that I think rubs people the wrong way. Uh, if you remember, Patrick Sutherland is the very tall guy that usually has a very tiny microphone uh, <laughs> he, at the EA press conferences. Andrew yeah. Wilson is usually the very, like, buttoned-up suit guy that lo- looks like a Mass Effect villain. You know, he has, like, a very sharp chin, very, like, co- like styled hair. Um, but, yeah, like, I, it's really weird to me that people are focusing on his salary. For me, the interesting thing is, like, where is he going? Um, people were thinking that he he was pushed out because EA is trying to renew their faith and, like, their public image and stuff like that. And maybe that is the case that they are doing that. But I don't think him leaving is related to that, you know? I don't know. Are you interested to yeah, see where he goes, a, or am I just like, is it something that you could care less about? I, to be honest, I could care less. I don't. Yeah. To me, I don't know. He doesn't have like a meaningful impact uh, on games. I, that might be mean. That might be kind of a, a push. I don't know. But you know, it's not like a game director changing studios or something. Well, he apparently is in charge of like a lot of like the the microtransaction type stuff. But that is important though, Don, because if he gets hired at a studio you like. There's a chance there that they the the, the game the game you're expecting could be could have these microtransactions that EA necessarily hasn't done the best, so it could affect yeah. that you know. I suppose, and you know, my worst case, you know, your nightmare would never happen. But it reminds me of uh, Todd Howard mentioning that they hired on consultants, you know, basically microtransaction consultants, or you know, I think that was for Blades. Yeah, yeah, it was for Blades or Fallout Shelter or um, whatever. And they kind of listen to them, and like most of their ideas, they're like, "No, that's way too much. That's get out of here with this trash." <laughs> yeah. right? They said it was too gross. Um, so I, that's at least one studio I have confidence. You know that they wouldn't do it. Not one, I mean, one publisher, I have confidence that you know wouldn't do something like. Obviously, there's other reasons they won't hire this guy, but um, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see that being a big problem if he goes somewhere. Maybe THQ Nordic. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. 
turn their games into pachinko machines or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't have much for this one. I'm going to be honest. Here. It's fine. <laughs> uh, the next story here, uh, Walking Dead, the final season, uh, will release all four episodes in 2018. This came out, they released their full schedule. This is surprising because this never happens usually for a Telltale game, much less the Walking Dead games. Uh, the way the schedule works is that episode one came out on uh, August 15th. I have it downloaded. Can't wait to get to it. Uh, the next one comes out the end of September. The third one comes out the end of November. And the last episode will come out in December, December 18th, I believe. So a week before Christmas. Um, as we talked about in the pre-show, I don't think Telltale has ever delayed a game that had a specific date. Uh, I know they've delayed when they gave like a window or a month, but I don't remember the last time that they actually delayed an episode that was given like a date. Uh, my assumption we were talking about is that their last release was like at the end of last year. So I think they've just been grinding out on these and I think they're probably done and they're polishing and I think that's why they're confident because they've never done this before. I think that's why they're yeah. confident in doing their release schedule. So I'm excited yeah. that they're all coming out in 2018. I'd like to finish a Walking Dead game in less than a year and a half for once, or you know, a Telltale game. Right, and and I mean, like, I ultimately, I think you're right that the they're in a good position to put these out when they say. But the reason that your devil's advocate here, at least, the reason they've all, never had to delay a game is because right, they usually don't they announce <laughs> exactly. the dates as each episode comes along so like it would be kind of hard for them to have to delay it because they wait like a week or two before they release it to announce the date usually yeah um whereas this is like there's more risk that you know one of these can get delayed now which i I think there's this chance but ultimately i think you're right because they haven't been putting out too much this year so um i think and they've had you know some employment they had some layoffs right last year and some new management yeah i I don't we already talked about this i can't remember the details of that but yeah i can see this um them going a new direction and with how they release these things. And so I, I definitely appreciate having the schedule out full ahead. And, and of course, the, the uh, it being all this year is cool too. And it's only four episodes too, so uh, usually right. it's like five. Um, yeah. The thing I want to clarify is during saying the release dates, I said late September and, and November. Those have like specific day dates. I just couldn't remember them off the top of my head. I think it's like September 25th, but all of them have like an exact day. Um, right, right. Also, this is uh, rumored to be their last game on the Telltale engine before they move over to Unity. Um, people are probably clapping and excited for that. It's oh, We've talked about this before, but it's so funny to me that whenever I hear people complain about the Telltale games, I know they have issues. I have never encountered the game breaking bugs or any of like the issues people talk about so to me i'm like what is this telltale you're speaking of i've never experienced this i'm just like super lucky i guess yeah yeah i've seen the videos yeah. don't get me wrong i've seen like the floating eyeballs and the joker like freaking out yeah um but i've I never experienced with it. the first batman yeah yeah do you think they'll do a, se- a third was, season of batman i'm sorry i think so do you want uh, one i haven't finished well, season two i mean season two was I was not great consistently, um, so if it's good, then yeah, I want a season three. I guess yeah, <laughs> that's kind of a, a cop out answer, but you know, it depends what they their plans are. Because season two was ultimately it was good, but you know, during the whole middle section, I was like, okay, this there's some nonsense going on here, and I don't really care about a lot of this. Um, it ended out pretty cool, but um, yeah, it just depends on what what it ends up being if they're going to do it uh, season three for Batman, but. Oh. And Batman, correct me if I'm wrong, Batman what, uh, Season 1 and 2 came out 2016, 2017, right? Maybe 2015, 2016, 2017? Season 2 was across years. I know that much. And season, um, but was season, because, sorry, go ahead. 
I just remember that because I remember not knowing which year I should consider it for game of the year in because it was 27, 2016 oh, or 2017, I believe. I, th- I think... Like the last two episodes were the new year or something. I think that happened with season one, too. That's why I think it was end of 2015, beginning of 2016, and then end of 2016, beginning of 2017. Yeah, yeah. that sounds right. So it's they came out like relatively after we got the Rocksteady games, so it's like it, was, it filled that Batman hole. Now we're just waiting for any of those WB studios to announce Batman or Telltale. Um, just All waiting right. on that Batman. Uh, our last story, it's our topic. There's not, it's not like super juicy, but it is something I want to talk about with you because obviously we've talked about Xbox's lack of like AAA exclusives and, you know, they don't really have anything to compete with like Super Mario Odyssey or Breath of the Wild or God of War or Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, but they are trying to do that and we've seen strides towards that. Other studio that they built in uh, Santa Monica, the initiative, they recently uh, announced um, some hires, maybe by accident, maybe by not. The guy who runs the initiative posted about the link on LinkedIn about the new hires, and then he removed it. But somebody obviously on the internet took a screenshot. Uh, the Quadruple A studio, as it's been pitched, uh, they recently formed to create stellar exclusive games for Xbox. Recently hired a bevy of talented folks. The hirings include Christian Candemessa, lead writer for Red Dead Redemption and Shadow of Mordor. He also wrote the film Air, which stars uh, Jaiman Hansu and uh, Norman Reedus. It's the one where like the guy's locked in like the air capacity thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, really interesting movie. Uh, Daniel Newberger, who is a co-director of Tomb Raider and the sequel Rise of the Tomb Raider. Brian Westergaard, who is a producer at God of War. Heard that game turned out pretty well. Uh, Blake Fisher, former senior director of Portfolio and Planning at Microsoft. Uh, and then they also hired two recruiters. Uh, Annie Lore, who recruited for Respawn Riot Games and Microsoft Studios. And Lindsay McQueenie, who recruited for Crystal Dynamics and Microsoft. So a lot of these people come from very critically lauded games, very high-budget games, um, very well-regarded games. I just want to talk about, we can talk about the hiring specifically, like there's, there's a name that jumps out to you from where they're from, we can talk about that, or if you want to talk about it as a whole. Um, the hire I want to talk about first is probably the one that isn't the most like glitzy and glamorous. The last guy listed, Blake Fisher, the former senior director of portfolio and planning at Microsoft. If he was the senior director of portfolio and planning, I think he's probably being brought in as like a project manager. That'd be my assumption of like maybe trying to get everything set out of how they're going to plan their development process. That seems like the most logical move from his previous job. Um, And the recruiters being uh, people who have recruited for other major studios gives me a sign of hope as well because those, all those companies listed have made excellent games. So to me, they kind of have a good eye for talent. So that's really important as well. Obviously when you're making these type of games, is there anybody that you want to talk about or anything specifically? Uh, no, not specifically about the people. Obviously, I I said it before in one of our chats. Like, the studio is gonna be primed to just put out something fucking awesome. I mean, you never really know if like it's all gonna you know gel, be yeah. cohesive or whatever. But they have you know it's everything is going right for them, right? And there's they're putting all the right pieces in place. Um, the other thing about this that maybe maybe isn't said enough is uh, the effect that this is gonna have. This kind of thing has like on. Um, the entire industry right where other studios now uh have to be like oh shoot like our our talent is getting poached right (laughs) we need to like you know whether it's you know increase salaries or allow more creative freedom or whatever you know what i mean um that's an effect that is gonna 
see these other studios like you know uh, uh fucking what do they call it that makes god of war oh my goodness uh santa monica yeah and all these studios are like oh crap like we put out an awesome game i mean that's always to be expected when you put out an awesome product right like we gotta keep our people here because um, now all of a sudden you know their value just went way up in the market so that's just another another piece to think about that that's a good net effect i think in the industry overall yeah and we don't know if this game's going to be good but i'll to give you a sports analogy i mean you're bound to win more games with lebron james than without him so if you can have multiple lebron james on your right. team you might not win a championship but you're way more likely to you know right so it's like you know college recruiting right like every recruit doesn't always pan out or whatever there's lots of misses but generally Alabama and Ohio State, who have like the top five recruiting classes exactly. every year, you know, through at the law of averages, they're going to be better overall. Exactly. Um, yeah. You know, one two star guy that becomes great doesn't disprove that, right? So. Well, and the great thing is, if you hire people who are experienced and talented at higher level positions, and you you have the ability to possibly bring in other people to balance the budget in terms of salaries, you can bring in people that are younger that can learn from people who are really experienced, and you can have a really good True. team building. Yeah where those really right. talented people can mold younger employees and you'll have a nice cycle of, of people. So if your top-end people do get poached, they learn from great people and you have other people in the wings. You know what I mean? That's the balancing yeah. of it. You, like, you want to bring in these top-level people, but you also want to bring in some people that are budget-friendly um, but that can learn and become right. great in their own. Um, because we're talking about these people like this producer of God of War – Who's to say somebody that they bring in who isn't known ends up being known as, oh, he produced the Initiative's first game? You know what I mean? So, right. yeah. I, I'm excited. Like like you said, who knows if this game's going to be good. But hearing all of these people come together really gets me excited for whatever this game is. We kind of see yeah. their specialty here. Uh, a lot of it's like third person. Um, so we can assume that it's going to be like third person narrative driven. But who knows? Because um, some of these, like Tomb Raider, is like partially open world. It's like open area. Red Dead's an open world game. Shadow of Mordor is an open world game. But then God of War isn't really. When you think of like an open world game, it isn't that. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited. Uh, it's gonna be a while before we see anything from them. I would. How would you feel, Dom? Before we close out, I know we're not necessarily fans of hearing about games like Super in the Distance. But how do you feel if we even got a hint of what the initiative was working on at next year's E3? Like, what would be the smallest hint that you would be okay with? Like, is it just a title? Is it a title and concept art? Is it just like, hey, we're working on it, we'll tell you about it later? Like, what's the bare minimum you want, specifically? Or them not show I mean, up at all? Probably, I think they'll be in uh, in one of those videos, not Dev Diaries, but like where it cuts from devs, you know, from the different Microsoft Studios. Yeah. Because uh, they're going to do that, you know, kind of showcase what their different studios are doing. I think you get like you know just a quote or whatever from like someone and it says like the you know microsoft studios or whatever the the initiative in the bottom right and it's just going to be something incredibly generic like we're doing something great and gotcha yeah. and, you know what i mean something that yeah. doesn't really mean anything not like an actual game logo or anything like that i think that's probably what you see next year um and then if the only what i do think is whenever they announce their new consoles i think that's when we see a trailer uh, yeah. or whatever it is they're doing right to kind of showcase like boys boys and girls like this is what's coming like xbox scarlet motherfuckers right excuse my language but <laughs> that's you know what i mean I yeah think, i think that's a lot of what microsoft is like preparing for is like they're kind of looking at next gen a lot like they got a lot of studios they've bought and they're starting this one up and like that's not going to have an immediate impact um except on you know a little bit perception of, like oh we see that they're doing what we told them to do right yeah um 
but you know when it hits like it's gonna hit and i think that's what there's kind of like switch right where like there's not switch just had like the right titles when it released and um because you kind of look at the switch library overall and it's not incredibly impressive right out of the gate you pretty much just had zelda right yeah but you had zelda and odyssey like arguably your two nine biggest months. first party games <laughs> yeah nine months within nine months right so that's going to get you that initial spark you know that that's hard to get when you're trying to get your console like, off the ground and then once it's off the ground then everyone else and other developers want it naturally so i think microsoft is probably going with the same kind of strategy so that's why i think we see awesome trailer when they announce scarlet you know for this initiative game maybe it's still another two years before that game actually comes out from then or whatever but yeah I think we definitely see something like that. Well, that's going to be crazy, that show, that like the lead-up to the next Xbox, because Ninja Theory is coming off of their award-winning game, right? Well, not like literally coming off, but they're, they recently released it. So their game is probably going to be ready to show closer to like that 20, 2020 time period. Uh, right, right. We Happy Few just released, so it's not getting crazy reviews. From what I've read, and obviously I haven't played the game yet, from what everything I've read with We Happy Few, it seems like a lot of the issues are just polish. Like, because all the complaints that game is getting is, like, there's bugs. It's, like, it just does it's, like, not not fully fleshed out. Every every review I've read says, oh, the core mechanics and what's built here is great. They just don't execute on it. So, for me personally, yeah. reading that, it's, like, well, now that they have Microsoft behind him, that gives me hope. Because if it was, like, a game that came out and was just, like, oh, this is just a bad game, that's one thing. But it has potential. Yeah, but to hear, like, oh, this just was a game that, had all of this good core but just couldn't execute to me that's oh indie studio right and obviously some indie studios pull off the polish i'm not using it as an excuse for that studio but going into their ownership now by microsoft i think that's a it, it gives me confidence in that right um so who yeah. knows Agreed. but like they're another studio that we could hear about soon um i still love the belief that i do think microsoft is going to buy studio mdhr like i really do think they're going to buy them I just like the fact that they we recently talked was it last week that three million copies sold for Cuphead. Name another studio out there that can make a game that looks like that. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's that's a tough one to call, right? Because I can see it going both ways. Where like because it was so successful, it was you know too successful. So yeah. they might be like, we don't need you, Microsoft, right? Yeah. Whereas someone kind of more middle of the road compulsion with We Happy Few, or like we talked about with everybody's gone to the Rapture and uh, Chinese Room, where they were kind of like kind of like they're going they make good stuff but like they're not you know killing it budget wise i could see that being the other you know the but, other option is mdhr just is kind of like we don't really need you we'd rather make our next game on every console and then you know what i mean now we have the clout and we can make even more money um you know because the, the security to me is there for them right their next game should do well um, yeah and so i t- the, it'd be it's a tough call to make if you're the, running that studio the thing people forget though with cuphead so you know how Inside came out Xbox exclusive and then it came out on PS4 like a month later? The reason that never happened with Cuphead is because Cuphead was actually partially funded by Microsoft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, so, I, yeah, yeah. I that it, so they have a working relationship there even closer than like some of the other exclusives. Um, and I love that studio. I'd like to see. The other one we didn't talk about that could be ready for that 2020 showcase too is... Uh, uh, Fable. Yeah, the Fable Where, developers, uh, the Forza Horizon guys. What are they called? Uh, playground games i forget their name playground games. playground yeah like they're yeah. they're a potential there too so it's like everything is lining Dude. up for next gen <laughs> it's like all of these things right boom 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 think yeah. of it i mean you get you'll have presumably halo infinite jesus halo infinity or infinite infinite it's infinite it's infinite <laughs> okay 
you know, and then potentially like a, an awesome new Fable game, right? Yeah. Um, like headlining like your new console release, like that's your your Breath of the Wild and Mario Odyssey for your next console, right? Like, yeah. And then those, if Ninja Theory's game, if they got those out, if Ninja Theory's right. game can fit that like Mario Kart space, like that three right. months, like because it was what uh, for Switch it was uh, Breath of the Wild in March. Then it was Mario Kart like in August, July, August, something like that, and then obviously mm-hmm. Odyssey in December. That's cr- that's a really good beginning, and people are like, "Well, why don't they just try to showcase stuff now?" It's like, why? What's what do they gain from that? They're, we already see that they're posting great sales numbers and they're earning great revenue for the Xbox. Yeah, they're getting demolished by PlayStation, but they're still turning crazy profits. So why not come out with a bang? I, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm excited too for for PlayStation like. What does God of War 2 look like? Is it called God of War 2 or is it going to be like called God of War Ragnarok right. or like Valhalla? I haven't right. even played that game yet. Like once I get my PS4 in the next couple of weeks, I'm definitely going to get around to playing that. Um, and Man, I had a I had a crushing realization, you know? Someone asked a question um, in a Facebook group. Like, what, you know, if PS5 came out and it, you know, wasn't backwards compatible, didn't, you know, PlayStation Now wasn't still on par with Games Pass or whatever, and like, there's still no cross-platform stuff. You know what I mean? All the things Sony's getting bagged on right now. What if that they continued with these types of policies and put out PS5? Like, would you buy it? And I'm like, shoot, I I would I would even though like I wouldn't like it, but I'd be like, I need those those exclusives are just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So like that made me like shiver. Like, oh god, oh god, don't so, don't do this, Sony. Like, they might think they can get away with it, and to an extent, they might be able to, but I think it would be a mistake long term. But I don't know. Well, I just I just had to put that out there, dude. I'm interested to see the value. We're going a little long, but I don't I don't make this too long. <laughs> I'm interested to see the value of Game Pass when it comes to next gen because the hardest thing when buying a new console is um, financially, it's spending that much on a console and then trying to still justify buying a game too. It's just like a lot of money. Uh, and non financially, in terms of just entertainment, usually launch titles aren't very good, and there's not a lot like a a lot of games at launch. Right. The thing is that Xbox has Game Pass, so for like $10 more when you buy your console, you already have a library of games, and you could just wait for other games to come out. On top of that, uh, with backwards compatibility and Game Pass, that's already a huge uh, launch yeah. uh, lineup. So many games. So it's like you already have built-in value for buying the next console because you're not losing anything really. You know what I mean? That's the crazy thing. Right. It's because you have Game Pass and you have uh, backwards compat. It's just, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like I, I think there's going to be plenty of people like you that are like, well, I mean, Sony's exclusives are rock solid. I'm still going to get it. Yeah. But I do. I think, mean, assume, assume Horizon Zero Dawn is going to launch with PS5, right? That's yeah. a pretty safe assumption. That you're close to it, right? So I'd be like, I, I would want to wait until it gets cheaper. But like, you know, if that's that game comes out. It's I can't miss that, you know. But I mean, here's the thing too. The thing that we don't talk about is like we're more of the hardcore people. There's like majority of PlayStation Four owners are not loyal. They're the people who heard, "Oh, Xbox sucks. Oh, don't get it. Get the PS4." Yada yada yada. And a lot of them don't even play the exclusives. Like God of War is is it the best selling exclusive on PS4? I'm pretty sure it is. Right? I think we talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's what like it's gonna until Spider Man. It's like what, eight million, nine million, something like yeah, that. Something like that. That's what, like ten percent, a little over that, like twelve percent 
of 84 mm-hmm. million units that bought God of War, one of the greatest games of all time, apparently. So it's like, I think if you add enough value, Xbox can take away a ton of people at launch. They might not win over you oh, because yeah. you'll still want your PS5 for those exclusives. But I do think people mm-hmm. drastically underestimate the people who are just the casuals who are like, oh, we're all buying this one this time? Okay. <laughs> and they just don't care. You know? Yeah. So, no, that, that Sony, if they behave how we how they've been, then yeah, they'd be opening a door, you know, for Xbox to at least make this thing, you know, even right. Um, I don't, I don't know. To me, like the the biggest difference between this gen from previous gens is whatever percentage of people now own digital games, right? Yeah, and way more people have trophy trophies and are ingrained in that ecosystem. Um, so especially owning games, like <laughs> you would want to keep them, but if playstation 4 or if ps5 isn't back compatible with ps4 then it's like well then you're starting fresh you're losing all that network value that you created yeah um, by getting people ingrained in your environment you're basically throwing that out the window yeah um and now yeah you're saving a lot probably um on like renewing those licenses for a new console or whatever and then people rebuying the remasters inevitably but i think it would be a mistake in the long run like because that's the biggest draw right now like people own digital games and if you can carry them from console to console like they're not going to want to switch right like yeah because you already own so much in that ecosystem it's going to be tough to justify unless the stuff you own is now rendered it, useless right so I, <laughs> there was a gamesindustry.biz article that i want to talk about probably when jordan's back or at some point when we need another topic to talk about but it was very interesting dom it said that 25 percent of uh like checkouts for video games get abandoned uh, from Sony, from Xbox, from Nintendo, that 25% of them just get abandoned because the checkout process is too complicated, quote-unquote, which is funny to me because I'm like, it's two um, buttons. But apparently that's yeah. why publishers and these big companies are looking towards subscription services because of the auto-renew and all that stuff. Apparently, like, 25% is a huge chunk of sales, right, that you're losing. Um, so that's um, why they're looking towards yeah. these subscription services. So the article actually goes into, like, that's why, like, EA's looking into it and Ubisoft, and that's why Xbox has been doing Game Pass. Not because they're – it's sales that they're not getting anyways, but if you're able to get the 75% checkout on top of the subscription thing, it's just, like, absurd, the amount of revenue, right? It's a very interesting article um, to actually, like, read into and stuff. But it's, like, those business numbers, man. They're like, oh, we need more money. <laughs> um that's pretty much it for this week's episode. In terms of what I'm going to be playing, more Graveyard Keeper, more Batman Arkham City. Uh, oh, the one thing I forgot to mention, The Messenger got a release date. You know that Samurai game that switches between six, 8-bit and 16-bit? It's like Ninja and a Samurai? Mm, no. Uh, it's probably going to be this year's Shovel Knight, I would assume. Um, Shit. <laughs> yeah, it looks crazy. Plain. comes out the 30th. Also, uh, 30th of August. And... Uh, only coming to Switch and PC, and it's only 20 bucks, which is a very good price. Um, super stoked for that. Uh, what else? Can't think of anything, really. Uh, what about you? What are you going to be playing? Just Dark Souls. Remastered. Dark Souls. Right, so you're you're not sure if you're going to get it in October for the Switch? Uh, I don't think so, but who knows? It's 40 bucks. So I might be tempted. No. <laughs> yeah, at uh, price point. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week hopefully Jordan's back we might have a guest as well Uh, have a good week if you can please follow us on iTunes it really helps us out leave us a review Uh, rate us 5 stars subscribe to us on YouTube if you want more in depth uh, 
about the quickie news stories that we cover or anything else, all of it is, the links are available in the description of the YouTube video. And uh, follow us on Twitter at C-A-T-R-L-I-N-T, that's controlled interest abbreviated. I am at Jared underscore. Dom is at Dom's Oreos. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye.